Great to be with you. So if you have your Bibles with you on device or uh, hard copy, uh, we are going to be looking at one scripture, a little bit of a controversial scripture this morning. Uh, And you have a handout. Now, I have a disclaimer. I'm really sorry about this, but this is actually three messages. And... (laughs) So uh, we're not going to stay for three messages this morning. (laughs) Hopefully we'll get through message number one. Uh, But I want to talk today about the Holy Spirit, which was my topic, and particularly how we can get to know him better. And the Bible in the New Testament gives us five pictures, five images of the Holy Spirit. And the first one that he gives us is of a diamond ring or an engagement ring, a seal. It comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. My wife wouldn't give me her engagement ring, so I'm sorry I don't have that object lesson this morning. But Ephesians 1 says this, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance. And that word guarantee is the modern Greek word for engagement ring. And what that signifies is it's a guarantee of ownership and inheritance. We have an inheritance which comes to us when we receive Christ, and we have a future inheritance. And the Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring. Is there anyone engaged here this morning? I I think you've all been married. I think there was, yeah, last summer it was. Well, we just attended a a wedding last night from uh, one of our youth leaders at at the Panis campus, and she had an engagement ring, and it was a promise for what happened yesterday when they got married. And that's what this is. When, When you believe, when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you hear about Jesus Christ's lordship, and about his love, and about his death and resurrection, and you believe it and you receive by faith the promises and Christ himself, what happens, the Holy Spirit comes into us and joins our spirit, which the Bible says is separated from God and dead in our sins and trespasses, joins our spirit to the resurrected Christ, and a miracle happens. We're born again. You can't really totally define that. You become a new creation. Not a souped up old, you know, better version of yourself, but you become a brand new creation. It's supernatural. And the Holy Spirit then is the seal. He accomplished that work and he becomes the engagement ring for all the future that Christ has for us. So that's the first picture, engagement ring. The second picture we see in the New Testament is the dove. That comes from Luke chapter 3, verse 22, where Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And the Bible says, when Jesus came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And that dove is representative of gentleness, tenderness, sensitivity, and freedom. But the Holy Spirit 
is not a ring or a dove. He's a person. The third picture we have in the New Testament comes from John chapter 7. It's water. Jesus said, whoever believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers or a fountain of living water. And then it says that this he spoke of the Holy Spirit who is about to be given. So the Holy Spirit is like a fountain of living water. And I just happen to have a fountain here this morning. It's not a really great fountain, but you can see as soon as we plug it in, the water starts to flow. And as soon as you surrender your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit does that miraculous work in you, a river, a fountain of living water starts to flow. And it's, it's the life of Christ. It's the resurrected life of Christ. You are not a bucket. And I want to make sure we break that bucket theology today because some of us in the charismatic uh, in, in our charismatic background, we have the concept that we're buckets and that we get filled up, but, you know, as we go through life, we leak, and we do leak, don't we? Well, maybe you don't leak. I, I, I leak. I bump into people. I do things. I say things. We're going to talk a little about why we leak and what that is. But we're not buckets, but if you have a bucket mentality, you think, oh man, I feel empty. I, I need somebody to pray for me and get, and get filled up again. That's not good theology. You're not a bucket. You have a fountain within you. And when you get connected to God, you're not a bucket. You're more like a hose. You're connected right to the source. And the Bible teaches us, and we'll talk about that maybe at another time, the Bible teaches us how we get that fountain flowing. But you have a river of living water in you. But the Holy Spirit is not a river or a fountain. He's a person. The fourth picture is wind. Wind. We love wind in our family. We have fans in every, we have air conditioning, so we don't need fans, but somehow our family has got addicted to fans. And in the winter, in our bedroom, the windows open in 30 below. The fan is raging like a hurricane. And I am so grateful for down duvets <laughs> because I get under that thing Sometimes I have to pull it right over my head. It's so cold in there. And I think my wife imparted the fan addiction to our daughters because every one of them is addicted to a fan. Anyway, we're talking about wind, not fans. Acts 2, verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and praying, Acts 2 says. The Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost came like a powerful, forceful wind. It wasn't some gentle breeze. When, that, when they say mighty rushing, it means a forceful, forceful wind. And that means dynamic, powerful life transformation as this wind blows. But the Holy Spirit 
is not a wind. He's a person. And the last picture is fire. Acts 2 verse 3, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. The Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost not only came as a wind, but he came as a fire, as tongues, like tongues of fire. Fire speaks of cleansing, purifying. It speaks of holiness, anointing. But the Holy Spirit is not fire. He's a person. The third person of the Godhead. He's a person because Romans 8 says he has a mind. He thinks. He's a person because 1 Corinthians 12 says he has a will. He can decide things. He has volition. And Ephesians 4 tells us he has emotions. The Holy Spirit's a person. Not a force. Not an it. Not an experience. He's a person. And that person is jealous for you this morning. The title of this message is The Holy Spirit as the Divine Lover. And if you would turn, please, to James chapter 4. And there's one little verse in here, verse 5, which is controversial. And it has various translations of various meaning, uh, having different meanings. And basically, the, the translations differ about what spirit it is. Is it your spirit or the Holy Spirit? And the ESV, which I normally uh, read out of and would be preaching out of, chooses to translate this as the human spirit. But I find it far more helpful and maybe a little bit more accurate to translate it as the Holy Spirit. But either way, when you put all the translations together, there's a, there, there is a common meaning to this. But I want to touch this, this other meaning uh, because I think it really is the heart of God. And so I'm going to read out of the New King James Version and then I'm going to briefly mention to you the King James Version. So let's read this together. Acts 4, uh, James 4, verse 4 and 5, out of the New King James. I think it's in your notes. Adulterers and adulteresses. Now, James has been talking about lust. Verses 1, 2, 3, he's talking about human lust and how we get into trouble and that we're just kind of lust machines. We're, 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 we're idle machines. The human heart in its sin condition cannot help but make idols and lust after Things, And he says, adulterers, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And when the Bible uses the word world in this kind of context, it's not talking about people in the world, for God so loved the world. And it's not talking about the world as a geographical place. It's talking about the world system. It's talking about world culture. 
and the culture that we're living in and, and, and how our culture is so anti-God. It's talking about that kind of culture. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S, who dwells in us, yearns jealously. The King James Version says, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. It uses the word lusteth. And James has just been talking about the lusts of the world and the lusts of the flesh. And then in verse 5, he talks about the Spirit of God lusting. Let me explain, because there are two different words there. But this, this word, lusteth, is the Greek word epipatheo, and it actually means, patheo means an intense desire, a desperate yearning, longing. And the word epi in front of it just adds force to it. It means at or over or upon or near. And so what this word means, the spirit lusteth for us. It means the Holy Spirit has an incredible, forceful, passionate, intense yearning and longing for you. In fact, it's so much he's jealous over you. He's jealous over me. And of course, this lines up with the Old Testament, doesn't it? Because God in the Old Testament is a jealous God. We see over and over again God judging his people for idolatry when they turn their affections to other places and they turn their interests and resources to other places rather than worshiping him. They come under judgment. That's the jealousy of God. In fact, one of the names of Yahweh is Yahweh Kana. I am the jealous God. In Exodus 34, God himself says, I am a jealous God. I am jealous for you. And this Holy Spirit who lives in us is so passionate, so intensely yearning and longing for us, for me, for you. He's jealous for us. And he's the spirit of holiness. Romans 1 verse 4 says. I love the message version. The message puts it like this. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. Do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything you will ever find. And I think this is one of the, I think this is one of the schemes of the enemy to put the church to sleep. That somehow God is far off, he's distant, 
Yeah, he loves us. He loves the whole world. We understand it with our head. We get on with life. And yet the Bible tells us that inside every one of us who is a follower of Jesus is this passionate divine lover who wants you, who's longing, yearning for you and for me. What do you really believe about the Holy Spirit who resides in you? Let let me share with you a few thoughts from James chapter 4 and 5. Number one, the Holy Spirit is passionately in love with each believer. He thinks about you all the time. He wants to be with you. He wants to interact with you. He wants to commune with you. Probably the nearest example I have to this right at this present time is I am a first-time grandpa. And my grandson Jack, he just turned two in May. He is the delight of my life. He lives down below us in a suite, and I can hear him when he gets up in the morning. And when I hear him, I really have to be self-controlled because I just want to go downstairs and play with him and be with him. And when I hear him saying, Nana, Papa, and I hear his little sounds coming up the stairs and then he knocks on the door so softly, Nana, Papa, oh, my heart leaps. I can hardly get to the door. Jack! And his face lights up. I have such a such a longing to be with him. I thought, you know, I could play with him all day. Now, I'm sure he has his moments. He did reject me once. Oh, it was so painful. He came upstairs. I said, Jack! He didn't want me. He just went the other day. He started crying. Oh, I was so wounded. <laughs> I thought, what happened to you? <laughs> you have passionate divine lover inside of you who is so eager to commune with you so eager to love you so eager to engage with you and that engagement is the most satisfying thing you will ever experience in life It pales everything else. All our human relationships are just reflections, dull reflections of this divine lover and his passion for you. He dwells in us. He lusts for us. He has such an intense, fierce longing for us. This is not a long-distance relationship. This last few weeks, I've talked to two young men who are wanting to get involved with young women, and they're both long-distance relationships. And right away, as soon as you think of a long-distance relationship, your heart sinks. This is not a long-distance relationship. This is right here, right inside, 24-7, in you. The scripture tells us that this, he has an intense desire to possess you, to fill you, to take you over. Several, a number of years ago, I, I, I went through a, 
which I believe now is a very supernatural gift from God, but it was, it was a terrible desperation. Just a hopeless desperation. I felt so hopeless. I didn't know what to do. I've never felt like that in my life. And I felt like God had forsaken me. And I, I, I just lost all kind of hope. It only lasted for a few hours, and you'll see why. But the reason that I believe it was from God, because it prepared me for what God was about to do. So I went to a pastor, and I said, I, I need prayer. And so when he prayed for me, I fell down on the floor. And while I was on the floor, the Holy Spirit, that intense, fierce passion, yearning, longing for the Holy Spirit came upon me. That's how I can describe it. I just felt electricity going through my hands and my head and my face and my mouth, my whole body. And then it's like it came up from within me and the Holy Spirit began to peel the the layers of my heart back and I began weeping and confessing and while all this is going on the Holy Spirit's speaking to me he's engaging me he's revealing things to me I'm confessing things I'm repenting and, and, and turning away from things and the Holy Spirit did such a profound work that's that's one example in my life a huge example where his fierce intense passion came on me to possess me and to take me over. And all I could do was just give myself to him. That's what he wants to do. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, that's not what I want. That's, That's kind of scary. No, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. I would want that to happen every single day. It changed my life, changed my ministry. It anointed me for the purpose of the Lord. It's his intense takeover. Because the Holy Spirit is jealous for you. He views mixing with the world and mingling with the world as adultery. It's actually unfaithfulness. You are... You are being unfaithful to him when we give ourselves. And, and what happens when we're unfaithful to him? What happens when we, when we keep treading him or keep refusing him? I'll, I'll explain that in a few minutes. And the Holy Spirit's never satisfied with shallow fellowship. He's never satisfied with just an inch deep. He wants honest, true heart communion. Do you know a prayer that is kind of bungled up and spit out, but it comes from the heart, is far more meaningful to the Holy Spirit than some eloquent scripture that's prayed out from somebody who's praying from here, not from here. Because Jesus said it's out of here that that fountain flows. Maybe you feel like you're in a desert spiritually this morning. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here or somebody who'll be listening online and you've never actually said yes to Jesus. You're, you're inquiring about the Christian faith and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We're so grateful you're here or you're listening. 
That's a very important part. But you need to know, even as you're inquiring, even as you're listening, the Holy Spirit's working on you. You're not doing this all yourself. The Holy Spirit's with you. He's bringing conviction, Jesus said. Sin and righteousness and judgment of the devil. But when you've received Christ, maybe, maybe you're going through a season where you feel absolutely spiritually dry. You feel like you're in a desert. You feel empty, dry, weary. You may even feel like God's forsaken you. Don't be mistaken. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit preparing you, creating a holy desperation, a hunger, because he wants to fill it. He wants to meet it. He wants to satisfy it. You can't feed somebody who's not hungry. They have no interest. But when you go without food for a while, you get hungry, your appetite builds, and sometimes the Holy Spirit will even do that with us. And we get hungry spiritually. The problem is the enemy can seduce us, tempt us to turn to other things. Ah, and we give ourselves to other things, worldly things, carnal things that never satisfy. Instead of turning it towards him and seeking him and and then letting him meet us in our new divine desperation. The Holy Spirit wants to express Himself in your actions and in your attitudes. He wants to partner with you. And that partnership is not 50-50. It's more like 90-10 or 95-5. It's mostly Him. All we have to do is say, yes, Lord. And then He'll take over. And the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to become like Jesus and to accomplish Jesus' mission. In John 16, Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, he won't come. And then he said in John 14, whoever believes in me also will do the works that I do and even greater works will he do because I'm going to the Father and I will ask the Father and he will send you another helper. The Spirit of Truth. Oh, the Holy Spirit wants to do so much more. You know you have the gifts of healing within you because you have the Holy Spirit. You have the working of miracles within you because you have the Holy Spirit. You have words of knowledge, words of wisdom, gifts of faith. And when we're surrendered to him, he's able to use us, he says. He has a will about things. And and as we grow sensitive to him, then he uses us. That's the partnership. 10% us, 90% him. And the Helper, the Holy Spirit, even makes us willing and able when we're not. If we're unwilling, if we're afraid, if, 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 we don't, if we're not certain about this, Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13 says, 
God is at work in you through the Holy Spirit to make you willing and able to obey Him. He can actually change our desires. You have a divine lover who passionately, earnestly, intensely, fiercely longs, desires with a holy jealousy to possess you, to take you over, to use you, to love you, to make you like Jesus. And you know something's going to possess you. You know that, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, something will possess you. Either you will possess you, the world will possess you, the enemy will possess you, or at least oppress you. Something's going to do that. But when our maker possesses us, we come home. That's what we were made for. When he takes over, that's how we were created. So, let me share with you, there's three things the scripture says in the New Testament of how we hinder this. The first one is, we resist the Holy Spirit, we grieve the Holy Spirit, and we quench the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to do the first one this morning. How do we resist the Holy Spirit? Acts 7 verse 51 says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Now this is Stephen. He's speaking to the religious community who are about to martyr him. He's speaking to the Sanhedrin. And after he said these words, they really got angry and they stoned him. And the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, Saul, was standing there watching this, holding the cloaks. And then eventually he ended up getting saved. And of course, the rest is history. This word resist means literally to descend, to fall down prostrate. And when you put the word against in front of it, it means against falling down prostrate. It means to refuse to submit, to refuse to surrender, to refuse to bow, to actively oppose God and work against Him. And how do we do that? I think the first way we do that as followers of Jesus is by ignoring the Holy Spirit. Living like He's not there. You uncircumcised in heart and ears. We're, we're, we're insensitive to him. We don't hear him. We just, we don't get it. We live like he's not there. We ignore him. And maybe, maybe we ignore him all week except on Sundays. We come, we sing the songs, we hear the message, we think a little bit about it. Maybe we meet with him in our devotions. And then the rest of the day we just forget about him. We ignore him. We've done our Bible study. We've done our, we've ticked the box. We've said our prayers. And now we just get on with life. Maybe we're prayerless. And you know, if you're prayerless, what you're really saying is, I don't need your help. And he's the helper. <laughs> That's why he's here. And when we pray, something always happens. And when we pray, he always hears us. And when we pray, something's always released. But if we're prayerless, 
We're saying, I don't need your help. Someone has said, the greatest tragedy of life is not an answered prayer, it's an offered prayer. So that's the first way, we ignore him. Uh, Secondly, we refuse him. We refuse to give up control. Stephen said, you stiff-necked people. And I'm not saying you're stiff-necked, okay? I'm not. I hope you don't hear me railing against us this morning because I'm exhibit number one, as you're going to see in a minute. But this is what Stephen was saying. The stiff-necked people, they stubbornly resisted the Holy Spirit. And that means stubbornly not letting go. Not surrendering to him. I, I, I think I've actually told some of you, I can't remember if it was in a, a, um, one of our retreats or whether it was a Sunday morning or it was probably both. But I remember the first time I was prayed for, Dave and Velma were there and, and so was Ruth uh, when the, and, the, and the, the, the um, Sweatmans. We were in the Carlton Men's Club and we had a, an older man pastor come who had been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's from a brethren background, but he got filled with the fire of God, and he was absolutely dangerous. He prayed for everything. And uh, he came to speak one weekend, and he called me the young man. And he said to me before the Sunday, young man, have you been prayed for to go down under the power? I said, I don't think so. He said, oh, good. Well, I'm going to pray for you Sunday morning after I preach. And I thought, I'm not sure I want you praying for me. I'm not sure I really understand that. Anyhow, he preached, and uh, the Sunday morning ended, and so he said, okay, I'm going to pray for your pastor now. So he got me up in front of all these people, and I was so embarrassed. I just thought, I'm a spectacle. I hate this. So he, he started praying for me, and I started doing this. And I'm thinking, what's... I can't open my eyes, right, because I'm too embarrassed. I'm thinking... What is going on? Is he pushing me? Am I making this up? Is this the devil? Is this some demonic thing? I mean, I was going through this thing, and I was having this battle inside the whole time, and I was hating it, and I wanted to disappear. And I'm just going back further and further and further and further. I mean, I looked like a limbo person after a while. like this, and it was so uncomfortable, and, 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 and I, I was battling the whole time, resisting, 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 and finally I said, Lord, if this is you, I surrender. Boom. Instantly I fell on the floor, and then the Holy Spirit began to work, just filling me with his love. Oh, it was wonderful. Then I didn't want to leave. I wanted everyone else to leave. It was so wonderful, and he worked such a beautiful work of grace. My heart was so tender. I remember we went for a picnic in Assiniboine Park afterwards, and uh, I, I just didn't want to be around anybody. I walked out into the field, and I laid down, and the Holy Spirit came on me again and came up within me, and I just wanted to bask in that love. But I resisted him. And then I... and then. More recently, we had to move because we were taking Mary's father into our house. So we needed a bigger house. We needed one with a suite. And Mary had all these words, these prophetic words, these dreams, these visions. And we used to drive out into East St. Paul every Friday looking for property because I wanted to build a house. And 
And every time we went by this house, she'd say, that's my house there. And we'd laugh. I'd laugh. Anyway, she kept having these words and dreams and whatever. And the house that we used to drive by and point out was actually owned by somebody who used to be in Gateway. And through a series of divine appointments and God leading and whatever, we ended up swapping houses with these people. And I was so upset because I didn't want that house. It was too big. It was too ostentatious. A pastor should never live in a house like that. And Every time we have somebody over, they'd say, whoa, what are you doing in a house like this? But it was clear. The Lord had led us there, but I was resisting it, pushing it against it. And I would say, well, Lord, if this is really you, then cause this to happen. Boom, it would happen. Lord, if this is you, then cause this to Boom, it would happen. And so all this series of stuff, finally we ended up moving in and swapping places with them. But I was very unhappy. I was still resisting and resentful. I was grumbling and complaining and negative. And I remember our, our uh, eldership team, our pastors, we all went down to Louisiana to a conference on the very first night the preacher spoke about the cross and I was convicted and I went forward to the altar and while I was at the altar, the Holy Spirit just dealt with me about how I'd resisted him in this house and how I was so negative and critical and my heart broke. I just thought, Lord, how can I be so resistant to you? How can I miss you? How can I, how can I be so stubborn in my own ideas and my own commitments and but he was so gracious he just broke the power of it and he broke my resistance and I surrendered to him again and of course that house has been an incredible blessing and 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 we've used it so much Mary had a vision about other people's children living with us and a great spring of living water and all that has come true in that house so Refusing, resisting. And the last one is despising. Hebrews 12 says, My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. We have storms in life, don't we? We just, if you live in this world, there will be storms. There's storms of this world. There's storms from the devil that need to be rebuked. There's storms of our own making. We can get ourselves into storms just by our choices. But then there's storms from God. God lets things come into our lives. He either authors them or allows them. They're for our good, but they don't always feel good. If he wants to stretch us or enlarge us or... He wants us to grow or mature. Sometimes we need discipline. And he lovingly, because he's so passionate, he's so earnest, he so longs for us. But he'll discipline us. And when we despise that discipline, when we reject it, when we refuse it, when we get haughty about it, then we doom ourselves immaturity and he's right there he's right there to help us he's right there to engage with us he's right there to to enable us and empower us he's right there to comfort us 
Doesn't matter what we're going through or what's happening. He can help us through it because he's so jealous, so passionate, so intensely, fiercely, longs and desires our communion, our fellowship, our usefulness. He wants to take you over. And he wants to take me over. Life with the Holy Spirit is all about control. If we ignore him, if we refuse him, if we despise him, what do you think happens? I'm asking. Anybody has any ideas? (laughs) Yeah, but what happens? What does he do? Does he fight you for it? (laughs) He backs off. He backs off. He backs off. He goes quiet. He withdraws. He's still there. As soon as we turn, boom, he's there. He's so jealous for us. And he'll work. He'll work. But he so longs for us, for more of us. There's so much more. That's what fuels me. There's so much more of the kingdom. There's so much more of Jesus. Now it's all been poured out. We're not trying to get it. We're just entering into it. So I'm going to end. And here's how I want to end. Because this first issue of resisting the Holy Spirit is all about control. Are you going to keep control or surrender to the Holy Spirit and give him control? Which is what Galatians 5 is all about. Led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, keep step with the Spirit. That's all about surrender, letting the Holy Spirit take over. And you can't give up control if you're in the driver's seat. You either got to be in the passenger seat or the back seat Or some of you might even need to be in the trunk. (laughs) Because some people like to drive from the back seat and 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 the passenger seat. But the Holy Spirit will work with us wherever we're at. We'll just say, Lord, here I am. Will you and I surrender to the Holy Spirit's takeover? And let the jealous divine lover possess us, like Mary did. Luke chapter 1, you remember Mary, the mother of Jesus. Gabriel appears to her. He says, hail, favored one. She's terrified. He says, don't be afraid. God has chosen you to conceive and bear a son who will be called Jesus the Son of God. And she says, 
How can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. That word come upon is the word take over. He's going to take you over. And the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And nothing will be impossible. And that's true for you and I. When the Holy Spirit takes us over, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Because he's the God of the impossible. Isn't that good news? And he's even here to help us. He's, help, he's here to help us let him take over. So here's how we're going to end. We're going to just take a minute, because we only have a minute, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this question, or ask Jesus this question, and I'm going to ask it out loud, but I want you to ask it as well, and write down the answer, because the Holy Spirit will speak to you. You might get a picture, you might get a thought, you might get a word, you might get a scripture. You'll get something. I'm simply going to ask the question this, Jesus, is there any way I'm resisting your Holy Spirit? And see what he says. Okay, are you ready for that? Okay, let's pray together. Jesus, you are such a wonderful Savior. And Father God, you are such a good, good Father. Lord, our words are so inadequate. You're so beautiful. You're so glorious. You're so holy. And we thank you for giving us the greatest gift we could ever, ever have, the the precious Holy Spirit. And thank you, Jesus, that he's a jealous spirit. He's an intensely passionate lover like you are and like your father. He exactly represents you. And we welcome him into our lives and into this church and into our city and into our homes and families. And Lord, we're asking today if there's any way, any way that we're resisting any way we're ignoring, any way we're refusing, any way we're despising what you're doing, would you speak to us? And we know that when you speak, you actually give the power to change it. So would you speak to us, Lord?